0: The only way that you're truly able to understand yourself is when your self-image, right? So your behaviors, your actions, they have to be in line with your ideal self. So who is it that you really want to be, and who is it that you want to be? And that has to come from your deeper inner self. That can't come from who you're comparing yourself to on Instagram or Twitter or wherever you know, whatever platform it is that you use or go on and and look at others to kind of this benchmark for success. Like that's not real.
1: and welcome to the Multicultural Millennial Woman podcast. My name is Parthvi.
2: And I'm Anya.
1: On this podcast, we'll be talking about the issues we face as we navigate America.
2: From my perspective as a Black Caribbean immigrant from Trinidad and Tobago.
1: And my perspective as a first generation Indian American whose family is from Gujarat.
2: We'll be talking about everything that affects a Multicultural Millennial Woman. From people choosing not to ask how to pronounce our names correctly in the workplace. Hello, corporate America. To how colorism
1: shows up in our communities.
2: To similarities in how our parents raised us and how that impacts how we move through the world.
1: Basically, nothing is off the table.
2: Ooh, I just got goosebumps.
1: So if you're looking to join us as we share how we're making our own in big ol' USA, pull up a chair.
2: Bring your chai, Milo, or whatever you're sipping on and tune in as we spill some American tea. Hello everyone. Today we're talking to Dr. Evelina Katowska. She holds a doctorate in clinical psychology and her work lives at the intersection of consciousness, spirituality, and neuroscience. In her work, she focuses on helping millennials realize the importance of self-exploration and discovery. As a multicultural millennial herself, She understands the special burdens we face to show up as our true selves, and so especially advocates for us in her practice. In this episode, we'll be talking about the importance of finding yourself in a chaotic world. Hi, Ev. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having
1: me. I'm really excited to speak with you guys today. So let's get started. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure so
0: my name is ev and i recently got my doctorate in clinical psych right now what i'm doing is i am a postdoctoral fellow group practice and i would say my forte or expertise is spiritual psychotherapy and so what i really focus on is kind of aligning person's purpose with their spiritual beliefs or just their personality their characteristics and hope to kind of allow them to
2: thrive in the world in brief <laughs> yeah i really find that interesting the way that you're saying that you are helping millennials connect their spirituality and use it as a tool to help them like live a fulfilling life can you share more about what inspired you to study and work with patients on how spirituality allows you to tap into yourself
0: yeah sure so i think something that we need to first define is what does the self actually really mean? What does that look like? And so when we think about the self, if you really want to go back to Eastern philosophers, they believe that when you're in touch with the totality of your full being and you're acknowledging your capacity for wholeness, that's truly understanding the self. So in my world, in the psychology world, the self would be understood as looking deeply into the psyche and examining both your conscious and unconscious realms of experience. So this is kind of, again, the totality of who you are. And so what inspired me to do this is I noticed that millennials in general, and even Gen Z, they are more inclined to abandon organized religion. And so they embrace spirituality and even things like astrology is very hot right now. And so I noticed that because they are so in tune with those aspects of spirituality, so again, astrology being an example, they're more willing to do the work. They're not really turned off to therapy. They're not really turned off to some of these quote-unquote woo-woo and unconventional concepts. And so I noticed that because they're so open to it, and there's also a very there's a rise of anxiety and depression in these generations. Again, Gen Z, Gen X, millennials. I figured this would be like how things align with how I do the work.
1: Totally can resonate with that too. Thinking about how I am as a person as well. And like the people around me, I feel like everyone I've known are like more inclined to do therapy if they're more open-minded about spirituality in general as a whole. So super interesting. Thinking about it, like as you've been studying this, have you felt that your perspective has also changed in viewing your own life?
0: Yeah. Going back to who's open to it, right? So like we know that like baby boomers, like our parents are not really open to this kind of stuff. For me, for example, that wasn't the case. My dad was very spiritual. He was a fourth generation in the Polish world. He was considered a shaman. And so he did a lot of healing. He was very focused on healing, um, energy healing, and just like, you know, metaphysical concepts that were back then when he would discuss them with me were just very completely considered unconventional, not talked about. And so I think that is how I started. My interest was peaked then having these conversations with my dad. And then I noticed that even in grad school, when I would bring these concepts up to my peers, the antennas went up, their eyes widened, they were really interested in it. But again, it wasn't always talked about as much. So I think that given the time that we're in, because if we're going to focus here on millennials, they are so open to it that I think it changes me a little bit in the sense that I feel more accepted in like the field that I'm in. So it's like, if I notice that, okay, this is the work that I'm doing, and I'm actually getting patients who are willing to do the work and are open to it, then I feel that it gives me more of a sense of purpose. So, yeah, I would say that it changes me in the sense that it makes me feel more aligned and it gives me passion to continue doing the work that I'm doing. It fuels my passion.
1: That's awesome.
2: So I think this is really interesting because the story you shared about your dad seems like such a pattern flow for me. The felt that your dad was a shaman, and then you, in a way, are continuing that work in a modern sense by being and studying psychology, but also having a focus on spirituality. To me, it almost feels like you're continuing that work. So I love the pattern in that, and that's very exciting for me. Definitely.
0: You know, in some spiritual spheres, people would say that psychologists are modern-day shamans. So it feels, and especially ones that are interested in spiritual psychotherapy, it really does feel like I am kind of living and honoring my
2: dad's legacy. I love that. So speaking about shamans and legacy, I feel like shamans help you when you're dealing with a specific struggle in your life, when you're dealing with a problem. You go to them when you are like, I have this big issue, and I don't know what to do. Like, can you help me? So some of the youngest millennials are in their late 20s and early 30s. And these years, and I can say that because I am a millennial in my late 20s, are sort of crazy, because I feel like society is saying, you should be adulting. But so many of us are desperately struggling with what that means. So can you give more insight into the issues you see popping up for millennials at work and the problems that they are coming to you with? So
0: I would say that's a layered question because there are so many different issues that people have. But I would say with millennials, there, there, it's like a twofold, I think, issue here. Because on the one hand, millennials are seen as pretty much like the most educated generation compared to the previous generation. However, so even though that they have all this success and they're the most educated generation, the path to success is less clear. So what I mean by that is they're delaying some of the milestones to adulthood that previous generations put for granted, like buying a house or being in a relationship or landing their dream jobs. Having these delayed milestones is what fuels their anxiety. And so, even though, on the one hand, they're the most educated generation, on the other hand, they also have the highest rate of anxiety, depression, and even suicidal ideation. There's a disconnect here. That's one way of putting it, That that's where therapy comes in, right? But on the other hand, I think that there's a lack of just cohesion of where they see themselves and actually the reality that they're in. And one thing that kind of causes that is just society in general. There's a lot of pressure on millennials. And even the younger kids, like Gen Z, parents just put an extreme amount of pressure on their children to succeed early on. Kids in kindergarten are getting assessments. And so it's a domino effect. And by the time that they're in high school or in college, they're completely burnt out. And so... That's pretty much like the issues that I'm seeing is that there's this disconnect between, okay, I'm really educated, but yeah, my anxiety is through the roof. And I feel like I'm not where I should be because this is not where my parents were at the age that I'm at.
2: I really resonate with what you just said. I feel very similarly as a millennial, like anxiety is very much a part of my everyday for like some of those same reasons. We have access to so much more information. We can compare ourselves to so many people. And we're typically comparing ourselves to other people's highlight reel and our ideas of what other people's successes are, which includes our parents. And so I can absolutely see how anxiety is sort of a main tenet of a lot of the things that pop up for millennials and why we're so often struggling with it and why we turn to therapy because we really need help with that. Mm -hmm.
0: And that's the thing too, that's that's a unique position that we're in too, because millennials are very in tune and with themselves in the sense that they're willing to share their mental health struggles. And so, you know, even though there's still some stigma around mental health, millennials have been really able to embrace the fact that they may be struggling with anxiety, they may be struggling with depression and they're open about it. And so we've seen that shift too. There was a recent study that was published that showed that millennials are more willing to speak out about having anxiety or depression in a job where they'd be willing to even quit the job because of the mental health struggles that they're facing because of it. And you know, that would have never gone down like years ago or like with the baby boomers, right? You're I don't think you'd ever hear your mom or dad tell you, I had to leave this job because I was really anxious they weren't even in tune with a, that concept and what that felt like. They may have known that it existed, but they didn't have the words for it. So we've come a long way, but I think that there's still, like I said earlier, there's still this disconnect that they are so in tune with themselves, they are so educated, but because perhaps they're so hard on themselves and they see that they're not up to par or haven't reached the milestones that previous generations have reached at this particular age, that it creates this level of crises where it's an identity crisis or they feel like they don't know who they are or what their purpose is. And so again, that's where the anxiety and depression come from.
1: Hmm. Yeah. A big part of your clinical work rests on the belief that a lot of millennials problems, like the anxiety and issues that they're dealing with, are rooted in a lack of self-understanding. Can you share more about that?
0: If we're going to take a spiritual perspective, what that really means is that people feel very lost in the world. And so they don't feel fully aligned with their purpose. They don't know what their purpose is. Again, they're doing a lot of comparing. So they're comparing themselves to either their parents or comparing themselves to other people. And I'll just give you an example of what I mean by this. I had one client, who she's very well known on social media and has like close to like 60,000 followers. And she's pretty successful, makes a good amount of money. And she's completely miserable because she's comparing herself to her peers on social media who have close to 200,000 followers. And so there's this constant feeling as if we're not good enough and we're constantly trying to reach some peak that we've created in our minds, instead of being just content with where we are in the present moment. And so when you think about anxiety in general, right, it's people that are worried, or they're future oriented, or they're thinking about something that doesn't even yet exist, because you're thinking about tomorrow when you are in today's moment. I think that's something that I, where I come in, and I kind of provide this level of, I share the perspectives, or I allow them to look in the mirror by seeing how some of their thinking is really not rooted in reality, but it's rooted all in thought, and thought isn't factual. So that's one way that I've kind of helped people reach that state of congruence where I
1: allow them to see where they are. Yeah, thanks for sharing that example. I think we all can relate and have gone down that rabbit hole of looking at other people's lives and just being like, I'm not good enough. And I think coming from like immigrant families too, sometimes that's kind of ingrained in us in a different way too, where it's like comes from the top to bottom as well. So then it creates that almost like an emptiness inside of us that we're constantly trying to fill of that enough or like those achievements that would will make us be seen better or more validated in society.
0: Yeah. And it kind of goes back to, like I said earlier, is that you asked about like self-discovery, right? And I think the only way that you're truly able to understand yourself is when your self-image, right? So your behaviors, your actions, they have to be in line with your ideal self. So who is it that you really want to be? And who is it that you want to be? And that has to come from your deeper inner self. That can't come from who you're comparing yourself to on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, you know, whatever platform it is that you use or go on and, and look at others to kind of this benchmark for success. Like that's not real. It all has to come from within. And so that's, again, that's where therapy comes in. That's where spiritual psychotherapy comes in. And it's providing people with these concepts. And I think because, again, like we said earlier, millennials are so in tune, they're able to really understand and like unpack what these concepts are which then again helps me do my work because they're willing to do the work as
1: well. At the end of the day, sometimes too, it's like the society around us is sometimes creating that pressure for us to like figure out who we are. Like at a young age, like thinking about, we have to decide our career paths around like 18 years old and we barely are like adulting at that point, thinking about pairing up, getting married soon after. It's always like, what's next? What's next? But do you feel like, there's a lot of pressure around self-discovery and the need to find out who we are. I've definitely seen a rise in some of the cases that I've had where
0: people, mostly I would say in their early 20s, are trying to figure out who they are based on, it usually starts with childhood, right? It's like, all right, I'm in my early to mid 20s. And it's like, you have this moment where you finally start to see your parents as people. (laughs) Like you, you finally start to see them as adults. And you're like, okay, well, now I understand why my mom is this way, or my dad is this way. How did it shape me? And why am I the way I am? I think there is some pressure to figure out who you are. And it's the fact that they want to know who they are. And again, it comes from two things. It comes from one, seeing your parents as like people, and you're seeing your family dynamics, and you're more open to it. And I think on the other hand, it's also this, there's this new wave of millennials accepting spirituality. They're more into astrology these days. There was a, a recent article where I think like Barnes and Noble said that a lot of the books they're selling is like astrology and tarot. So I just think that people are more open to it, which is a good thing, honestly, because they'll, they'll fuel their you know their success. Like If you really know who you are and you're aligned with the totality of who you are, then you're more inclined to be successful because you're more inclined to be happy.
1: Definitely.
2: You said something really interesting earlier where you talked about the fact that typically when people come into their 20s, they're starting to be more curious about essentially, why am I the way that I am? And that concept really resonates with me because as i near my 30s and i feel like parthi feels similarly we are often thinking about our own journeys of self-discovery and how we're both because we both come from multicultural backgrounds trying to shrug off expectations and create our own paths do you find that as multicultural women do you find it harder for us to forge our own paths because we're more likely to be beholden to cultural and societal expectations from our current environment. I think it depends, you
0: know, what culture the person comes from, what their process was like emigrating to this country, if they are an immigrant. I think all of that can actually, it's part of your your life story, so you can use that to your advantage by really unpacking that and figuring out what that is. Like, for instance, for me, part of my cultural identity is spirituality. And it's knowing that even, you know, as an undocumented immigrant, you know, I had to, I leaned into my spirituality for comfort. And I really was proud of the fact that my dad was as spiritual as he was and was one to kind of be in the community to speak of these unconventional, abstract ideas. So it depends on what you see as a protective factor and what you see as a risk factor, right? So like, what is it in your culture that makes you feel that you're more at risk to be anxious or depressed or figure out like you're stuck in life? And then what is it from your culture that you feel is really protecting and gives you kind of a leg up in understanding who you are and where you fit in in society? So it really depends on how you view your culture are you connected to it? Are you connected to the traditions? Is it something that fuels your purpose? Or is it something that you want to shy away from or you don't want to embrace? And I think at the end of the day, if you're willing to embrace it, then you're more inclined to be one with it, which then means that you're more inclined to be one with yourself.
2: I can affirm that. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that. I feel... For me especially, I came from a very high-achieving family, and so my parents always had really high expectations for all three of their children. And so, yes, even though I did immigrate to the U.S., and I, I do think I have that drive as an immigrant to be the best and do the best. And I do think, especially like as somebody who's a black woman, like I feel like I have to double, triple, quadruple prove myself. I do also think that drive had been instilled in me from a very young age. I would come home with my report card and my parents would look at who got the highest grade in the class. (laughs) And if my grade didn't match the highest grade of the class, it was an issue. And so I definitely think that Yes, being a multicultural woman can make it harder for you to be free of anxiety and be free of, like, other people's expectations. But I do think for me personally, I just think it's always been a part of my culture and also the value system in which I grew up. hmm
0: Yeah, and I mean, you make a good point, too, right? You know, as a Black woman, there's a lot more that you're going to face versus me as a white woman, even though we we're both immigrants. There's a level of privilege that I have that society doesn't see you as having. And so it doesn't matter how much you embrace your culture or your values or your, or the traditions, just the, I guess we can say how brutal and racist society can be, embracing your culture won't get you through. And so it's a very loaded question. And even in the spiritual world, there is a lot of racism. So like, when we even when we look at like, I'll give you just a small example, but thinking about the world of yoga, or the whole be positive or light and love, like love can get you through anything. I mean, not really. And that's, that's really not the case. And going back to yoga, like when we think about like, different magazines that get published, and when you see, you know, um, like the Buddhist magazines or health and fitness, and there's always, if we see yoga on the front page, it's always a white woman, right? And it's rarely a black woman. And it's not like black women don't do yoga. They definitely do yoga. And let's even go further than that. When we think about yoga studios, we have your typically some yoga studios that are owned by white women have a lot more traffic than let's say a yoga studio that's owned by a Southeast Asian woman, right? And we know that yoga came from Asia. So one would think that that would be the more popular place to go. But it's not like that because I think white women in the spiritual world, and if we're going to talk about yoga for a second, in the quote-unquote yoga world, they've whitewashed it. When you whitewash something, it's almost as if like you extract and disconnect the cultural piece that is attached to yoga. And it's now just seen as this like commodifies the spiritual aspect of it, which is not how it should be. But unfortunately, that's kind of where we are.
2: Definitely. Definitely. And, and also, just quickly touching on yoga, there is absolutely a history of a origin story of yoga in India. But as I've recently found out, there is also an, a rich history of yoga in the African continent and in countries like Egypt as well. So, yeah, it, it's it's kind of scary, I would say, almost that these tools that are supposed to help you find yourself and to become one with yourself and to and to find the God within you. Have been commodified, and it it sort of strips away access from people who don't have a certain amount of wealth or a certain amount of disposable income, yeah
0: yeah, exactly, and so again, going back to the whole whitewashing thing, it's kind of like when we westernize certain things like we have with yoga, it's more accessible, so it's like well, white women are going to do it because white women have created this thing. But it's no, it's not the case. They haven't created it at all. And same thing with some spiritual concepts. You see a TED talk by, let's say, a white psychologist, and you have people in the audience and they're like, wow, she's done all this research on this and this concept within mindfulness. So this is a new thing. And let's Take it all in. Meanwhile, this person that may be presenting on mindfulness or any type of like spiritual concepts, this stems from thousands and thousands of years ago by Buddhists and by Buddhists in different parts of the world that typically weren't, there was no access for us to have that until quote unquote, a white person went and found out about it and then came back here and is now giving talks on it. And now, according to everyone else, it's this white person who's created this concept, It really is interesting kind of, again, what gets publicized, what gets, what becomes popular. And a lot of these concepts in the spiritual world that do get popular are typically,
1: they're given attention when a white person is speaking to it. So I think that makes a lot of sense, but kind of like realigning. So thinking when we chatted last time, you spoke about feminine energy and how the desire for self-growth and self-discovery. Typically falls on the woman. Can you explain more about why you've come to this conclusion?
0: Yeah. So I think when we think of just like feminine energy in general, right, we're typically we associate the feminine with traits like empathy, nurturing, heart energy, as some would put it. And so the reason I say it falls on the woman is typically the woman is the one who educates the family. If we think about kind of your current modern family today, for the most part, yes, there are equal roles. Dads in today's world play a huge role in the family dynamic. But for the most part, it's always been shown in the literature that moms and women in general are the ones nurturing their children. They're the ones who provide them with their cultural understanding of who they are. They're the ones who are educating their kids. And so I think when it comes to spirituality in general, it does fall on the woman because the woman is the one that's doing it in the first place.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cause it always starts with us. Even in my own example at home, like out of my husband and I, I'm more spiritual. He's just not very religious. So I think just as people too, I'm just more in tune with my emotions and things like that. And I think it kind of just comes with like feminine nature as beings. We just have those, it's like innate, in in our in our beings and I think that definitely has something to do with it too.
0: Yeah, and I think again, those concepts that I said earlier, empathy, being nurturing, being loving, those are typically associated with a woman. So I think it just kind of just falls that way, where because these traits are seen to be more feminine in nature, it just so happens that women are the ones that carry these traits and they're the ones that are passing them on. And this is not to say that men don't have these qualities as well but they're again because of the society that we're in they're seen as more
1: feminine so like given that women are obviously more likely to have this desire how like do you see a lot of men going down this route of self-discovery and self-growth also well so i will say we have to think broadly too right i mean
0: thinking about kind of how people identify today and trans women, people who are gender nonconforming, right? These are We don't want to put these feminine qualities in like a box because they are very fluid. And so I just want to kind of point that out there. This is one of those questions that we can go into several different, we can go into several directions. But in terms of men or people who identify as male, for the most part in my work so far, I've predominantly worked with women And I think just in the therapeutic world in and of itself, women are more inclined to go to therapy than men. So that's been my experience where, again, I've worked predominantly with women, but with the men that I've worked with, yeah, there's definitely been men who came in with wanting to kind of understand themselves better or understand their family dynamics better, which again, you know, my work isn't just for women. So the therapy I would give to a man or someone who identifies as a man versus a woman or who identifies as a woman is the same. It differs based on the individual and what they bring and where they're at in life versus their gender identity. So unless they specify that they want this to be kind of a part of their work, I will assume that the spiritual concepts, or the work that I educate people on is universal.
2: I really love that you are talking about feminine energy, Evelina, because I think it's so important. The older I get, the more I'm learning about and accepting my feminine energy. And I actually think it's really important for growth. I don't know if you feel this way, Evelina or Parthi, but I feel like growing up, we sort of, because of we live in a Western society and because we live in a very capitalistic society, we're often told that success is when you adopt masculine traits. It's like you have to be more aggressive, more direct, more in people's faces. I think growth and development is realizing that there's energy that we understand as feminine energy and energy that we understand as masculine energy. And we have both no matter like, what you identify as. And we are able to ebb and shift and flow in those depending on like what we're experiencing. And healthy masculine energy is great for different things and healthy feminine energy is great for things as well. And I really feel like the more I begin to understand and like really embody that, I feel like I continue on my path to health and growth instead of being like, oh, This being too caring or being too understanding or being too nurturing, that's like, ugh, or the only way I can express that is in like this one tiny corner of my life. And also evolving the idea of feminine energy, right? Like I think feminine energy is also like the mother cub and that fierceness and that ferocity and really expanding what our ideas of energy, when we think of masculine energy and feminine energy, how they play out in the world so I'm really glad you brought that up I think it's really important for millennials to understand because we grew up in an era where that may not especially be taught especially depending on what culture you're from and as I was saying before I think it's really key to grow to understand what's inside of you how can you understand those things better and really live out a life that's aligned to as you're saying Evelina who you really truly are Mm mm-hmm
0: even just thinking about how you're embracing that more. I mean, I think as a society, we are embracing concepts more like that are associated with the feminine energy, things like empathy, right, and being nurturing and loving. I mean, even thinking about recently, now that we have Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as president and vice president, respectively, thinking about how a lot of the articles that came out from I would say November until like now in the title, it's things like empathy wins the presidency or Joe Biden promises empathy. There's another one that was Joe Biden's empathy may result in a therapeutic foreign policy. Right. So it's like we're having these these concepts that, again, even let's say 10 years ago, were not very common to hear. No one really talked about empathy, feeling someone else's feelings, or really the cliche kind of statement of put yourself in someone else's shoes, right? That wasn't really the talk. And so now it is. And I think that comes with a a few things. One is that women are leading the world more and more, taking in leadership. They're taking on leadership positions. I also think that we're trying to teach our young men to be more in tune with themselves, to also put themselves in the shoes of the other and I think that when, again, little boys and little girls are both taught that they have to work on empathy and being nurturing and being kind to one another, I think that those principles will be, be coming back, the principles of the feminine energy that we just spoke of.
1: Yeah, I love all of this. I think it's it's really interesting because I feel like we spend so much time thinking about what we don't do as women, but we have so much amazing about us that we don't look within. Thinking about all of these things, do you have any like quick tips for us to take away to think about, you know, how we can do this on our own and start reflecting so we can stop comparing a little bit?
0: Yeah. So put your phone down after a certain time or when you wake up in the morning, the phone shouldn't be the first thing you look at. Perhaps in the morning, you can do a five to 10 minute exercise where you close your eyes or keep your eyes open and just really reflect on what you're grateful for and just sit in that sense of gratitude that's been shown to really increase someone's state of happiness throughout the day, being in sitting in gratitude for the first five, 10 minutes of the day. That's something that you can do. Again, not being in your phone throughout the day. And if you have to be a time limit on that. So don't go on Instagram for three hours um, is one thing that you could do. Another thing could be really investing in therapy. I think therapy is an excellent tool for people to find themselves, for people to increase their sense of happiness and belonging in the world. So I would say those are three little exercises
2: that one can partake in. Definitely. Thanks for sharing that. I feel I'm so guilty of all of those. My phone is my alarm. And you bet. (laughs) As I hear the alarm and I roll over (laughs) on my bed, the first thing I pick up is my phone. But I feel like you've challenged me. I really want to try to put my phone in my drawer and use a different waking up method and try that. Like Wake up and just think about things that I'm grateful for. So thanks for that tip.
0: Mhm. Even like journaling is really helpful like especially for people who struggle with anxiety or again doing that thing that we said where they would compare themselves to others when you take those big really scary or frightening thoughts and put them to paper it really helps kind of concretize what you're looking at because you're looking at it and you're like okay I can't believe I'm thinking this way or wow that's just a thought it doesn't actually really mean anything or the more energy that we we give these thoughts, especially ones that create anxiety, the more we're anxious. And so we're in this vicious cycle. So journaling is a really good way to help reduce anxiety, to help improve your sense of of belonging, like feeling as if that everything that you're expressing and feeling, you can actually put to paper.
2: I really appreciate you sharing that. I think sometimes journaling can be tough for me. So I do sometimes will leave myself voice notes because I'm such a verbal processor (laughs) and it really helps me to talk in between therapy sessions.
1: So I'm just really energized and excited to make some changes and, you know, try out all these new tips that you shared. But again, just want to thank you so much for your time, Evelina. It's been such a pleasure learning more about how we can take actionable items, but also, just listening about what it means for us as we continue to discover who we are. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy to have
0: this conversation. This is something that I can talk about for hours. These are also concepts that are really deep and they do require a lot of thought and a lot of reflection. But you know, the process of transforming oneself is really world shifting. And I think that when we allow ourselves the privilege to really focus on that and investing in ourselves, whether it's through therapy or practicing meditation or doing something in the day where we are really content with who we are and know deep down that we are whole, despite whatever predicament we're in. I think that's really powerful. So thanks again for letting me talk about it.
2: I love that you said we know deep down that we're whole. Yes, because alignment is not about finding your purpose. It's about realizing that your purpose is within you and you just have to remember it. So thank you so much for leaving us with those words. They're important. I think they will be helpful for people listening. Thank you so much, Evelina, and I'm so excited that we had a chance to talk with you today. Thanks for having me, guys.